Welcome to another week of Straight from the Goldmouth. Your co-hosts Andrew Daly and Ian Gallagher are here again. This week we're discussing all things Plattsburgh lacrosse with head coach Joe May. He gives us a lot of different insights on how he runs his program, what he looks for in recruits, and some of his favorite drills. I hope everybody's staying safe as we continue to navigate social distancing and the coronavirus. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. We want to welcome Joe May, the head men's lacrosse coach at Plattsburgh State, to our uh, podcast today. And we're going to be talking about quite a bit everything Plattsburgh and hopefully get into a few more things about, you know, how they run their practices, what they do up there. And the first question I have for you, Coach, is when you took over at Plattsburgh, obviously the program had already been built a little bit and you're, you're a first-time head coach and you've had quite a bit of success since you took over. What are some of the first steps you took when you got hired and how is it as a first-time co- head coach coming into an established program and continuing to build on that? Well, well, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to talking today. I think my situation was a little unique So I guess it kind of makes sense to kind of go back from the start with how I got to Plattsburgh. So I actually, I played at Geneseo, which is in the same conference as Plattsburgh. And so I, I, I knew a lot of the guys on the team from playing against them. And I knew the, the coaching staff a little bit that was in place. And then when I graduated, I came up here for graduate school right away and spent three years as an assistant coach um, at Plattsburgh. My first three years out of college, I was taking a, finishing my master's degree and, and starting and finishing my master's degree while coaching at the same time. And so I got to know the team and the program really well um, doing that. And then I had an opportunity to go out and coach at Ohio Wesleyan after that and, and a great gig and had, had a great time out there and we had a really successful, great team. And, um, and then actually the, the head coach at Plattsburgh, who I coached under when I was the assistant, he left to take a job at Western Connecticut right before Christmas, actually. So it was one of those situations where I was in the right place at the right time. And I got a phone call right around the holidays saying, Hey, we need a head coach and we want it to be you. And uh, you've got about 10 days to decide if you want to move <laughs> you and your whole family 12 hours away and take over as a head coach. So that seems like a long time ago, but I guess it was only five seasons ago now. And so I picked up my stuff and moved from central Ohio back to Plattsburgh, New York, a place I never thought I'd be at. And, you know, I, I came back here to a team that, I had recruited a bunch of the players. Um, I had coached previously a bunch of the players on their team. So um, at least for me, being a first-time head coach, you know, I, I think I'd, you know, I'd been preparing for that opportunity ever since I really took coaching as a, as a career choice after my first season. And, and I said, you know, if I'm going to do this, I want to be thinking about how I want to run my program when I get that opportunity. So I've been thinking about it for years and, planning and, and learning and asking questions and going to the convention and doing as many things as possible. But still, it's one of those things that you can't really understand what it's like to be the head coach until you're actually, you know, have that title next to your name. And it, the, the transition was made um, a lot easier for me because it was a place that I was familiar with. It was a place where I knew a lot of the support staff. And so I, I, I guess I would say for anybody that's taking over, as the head coach, it's just so vitally important to know all the people behind the scenes and the equipment managers and the people working in the offices and handling the budgets to the custodians, to the, you know, the facilities managers and everybody on campus, getting to know them and being respectful and, and friendly with them because you'll be asking them for a lot of help when you first take over. So kind of establishing a good professional relationship is something that 
you know, I worked really hard at when I first took over. And so, yeah, that, that was like kind of the, the main part of the transition. I was lucky to have that. I was lucky to inherit a, a great assistant coach in Brad McClelland who had taken over for me as the assistant coach when I left and he stayed on for my first four years as the head coach as my top assistant and you know just did a, a great job of bridging the gap between the old coaching staff and, and me and was really willing to work with me and learn with me and handle all the bumps in the road and yes uh you know having a great staff in place was a, a huge blessing to me yeah that sounds um, like you, an amazing you, thing to, to just have as this just a like a backboard for the program yeah yeah a backboard's a great way to describe it you know he he actually played for the program too so he had a great pulse of kind of the behind the scenes culture of the team and he had a great connection with some of the guys that were still on the team and having that kind of inside knowledge of the inner workings of campus you know even when we're touring recruits around campus and him just little nuggets that me as somebody who never went to Plattsburgh as a student just never would have known. He provided that insight, which really helped us in the recruiting world and making kids feel comfortable when they got here. What's the one thing about Plattsburgh that really sets it apart? Um, you know, I, I guess I just think it's really unique in that where we are, you know, where we are is kind of in the upper right-hand corner of New York State, if you picture it on a map. So we're right on Lake Champlain up here, right across the lake from us is Burlington, Vermont, where uh, the University of Vermont's campus is. I mean, you know, we're like 20 minutes south of the border, another 20, you know, another half hour into Montreal. So we're about an hour away from Montreal, Canada. But, you know, we're also right next to the Adirondack Mountains and Whiteface Mountains. So it's just geographically, we're in such a unique area where there's a little bit of something for everyone up here. And, you know, you kind of have to drive through a lot of nothing to get here. But once you get up to Plattsburgh, there's you never really need to leave. And if you do want to leave, there's so many things right in your backyard that you can do, whether going to visit a major international city like Montreal or going to another college town like Burlington or going skiing, snowboarding, mountain biking, hiking, all of those things in the Adirondacks and, you know, enjoying the lake and the beach right in town here. You know, there's a little bit of everything for everyone. So if you're willing to make the trip up here to, to see it, once you get up here, you can really visualize what it's like to, you know, not only live here, but be a, a student here for four years. What's your favorite part of Plattsburgh area? When, when you have downtime, I mean, obviously right now is not the best opportunity to get out and explore a lot but say in the summer or you know over winter break what's your favorite thing to do while you're up there well i i, I taught myself how to ski about two winters ago because i figured if i was going to live up here for any sort of time i got to figure out how to take advantage of these mountains but i i definitely enjoy a lot of a lot of hiking i'm you know almost done with my 46 high peaks i'm hoping to finish that off this summer the 46 tallest mountains in new york state are all in the adirondacks and i've got about 11 more to go to knock all those off. And so those are, you know, those are, are a very challenge, uh, very much a challenge uh, for a competitive guy like myself. You got to hike 15, sometimes 20 plus miles out into the middle of the woods and climb a mountain and it takes about eight hours all day long. And you got to get up early to get there. And it's challenging physically and mentally. And, uh, you know, you get to do it with a couple of buddies and you know, really embrace kind of the areas. I'd say that's one of the things that I never really realized that was available to me until I kind of fully embraced living in Plattsburgh. And it's it's something that's just 
really special and there's something new to see and new people to meet every day when you're up here. The, the, the view you get from up there is great too. I know I, I've hiked blue mountain before and you get up in the fire tower and look out over and it, it's a really, really cool experience. And it's the calmness and peacefulness up there is, you know, you can't be duplicated. Yeah. Every year for um, one of our fall ball practices. So we have a, a major here that's called expeditionary studies. So you can get a four-year degree in expeditionary studies and be a, basically like an extreme tour guide, whitewater rafting instructor, you know, anything along those lines, being outside, doing things like that. So we rented a bunch of headlamps from that department and we, we drive down in the morning. We drive down at about 5 a.m. in the morning. We hike up a mountain, the closest mountain to campus in the pitch black, and we watch the sunrise as a team every year for one of our fall ball practices. So just little things like that that we try and do with the guys to get these. We got a lot of Long Island boys on the team and getting them out of their comfort zone a little bit, seeing something new. And once they get up there, they, they don't know what to expect. And they're going up there and they're kind of like, Oh man, what is this? Why are we doing this? What the heck is coach making us do here? And then once they get up there and they see that, and it's just, it's extremely humbling and, and beautiful. And it just makes you feel really small and great uh, team building. I'm sure too. Them. Yeah. Yeah. It just puts things in perspective and, and uh, the guys really enjoy it and, you know, we do it every year and our seniors are just, they fly up the mountain by the time it's their senior year because they're so excited to get up there. So little things like that, I try and do with the guys to make them embrace where we are and make the most out of their four years up here. So one thing that transitioning back to lacrosse, one thing that I wanted to ask you was what's a drill that you were confused by initially as a coach and then embraced and wanted to absolutely do every year after i guess i think the one one that's jumping out to me is one that my new assistant coach who just came from hobart actually he just graduated from there and he brought this drill he's my new defensive coordinator and we were struggling with some of our transition defense and he brought together this kind of confusing drill that he called the numbers drill which is it's a it's a tweak on you know a very standard uneven defensive situation with a trailer where guys are falling in and getting in and it starts with calling out a couple numbers at the top and I just kind of he explained it to me on the whiteboard and it's one of those things where I was just like you know what man I don't really understand what you're trying to get at here but I trust you that you've run this before go out there show me that you can handle a drill as a as a new coach and he went out there and it was confusing and it made the guys think and they you know, he'd call out, you know, one, three, three or something like that. And it would be a, end up being a five on four with a trailer after three steps. And the guys were all confused. And it just kind of it, it was a it was a beautiful drill to watch him implement over the course of our season this year because he learned better ways to coach it and to teach it, not only to me, but to the guys on the team. And that you could see the guys learning and adapting and reacting to the situations. And it just, it varied. Uh, it made it no two reps were ever the same. And I think that's what really helped us defensively dropping in the hole, not dropping into 15 yards, but dropping into 10 and then stepping up and playing the guy when they're at 15 yards. Just that little concept can make such a difference in playing a tight defense that protects the paint and uh, forces teams to shoot from the outside when things aren't all organized and settled. So that was a great learning experience for me and for the guys. And the guys had to 
coach each other up and lead each other in it. And he had to lead the guys and coach me up and have me, you know, teach me that drill. So I think sometimes I was resistant at first to change and a new idea and something I didn't quite understand, but kind of the more freedom I gave him, the more I was willing to, you know, the more benefit we got out of it. It helped him. It helped me. It helped the team. And so I guess I would just encourage anybody listening to this is try something new. And you know what, if you, if you put a drill out there and it stinks, you know, bring the guys up and be like, listen, that one's on me, boys. That drill wasn't very good. thought I had a good idea here. Looked good on paper, looked good on the whiteboard, looked good in my brain. But when I see us out here doing it, it wasn't that great. So we're going to move on to the next thing. And I think the guys can respect that. And just are there, you know, if you handle a drill like that and you keep things fresh, they're more willing to roll with the punches and try new things and, you know, push themselves out of their comfort zone and have fun learning new drills. Yeah. I think as an assistant coach, I would like to point out that I love that you're willing to step outside of your own comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, what's the worst it's going to do? The drill's going to fall flat and we waste seven minutes of practice. You, know, you, you worry so much about little things like that, but seven minutes of a practice isn't going to have a huge negative impact, but you know, because I was willing to try something new, we learned a whole new drill that we'll use for years to come that will really help us in the long run. And so sometimes you got to fail a couple times before you find that that kind of hidden gem drill. I think another point you touched on that I really liked also, and you kind of just touched on it again there, is the team failing together and learning together kind of helps develop and learn where some of those leaders are. But more importantly, on that transition defense, working through something that's super confusing forces some of those defenders to communicate through it and learn how to communicate with one one another on the fly and teach each other on the fly, which is so valuable in transition defense in a game. Yeah. You can't, you can't stop a game and be like, well, that's not exactly what we expected to happen right there. So let's do it again where we're more ready for it. It's like, you know, Hey, it might be a six on three at one point, you know, depending on how the ball goes, hits off the top of someone's stick, somebody falls down, somebody breaks their stick. You never know what's going to happen. So there's no point in complaining or trying to make it draw it up perfectly. It's just you got to roll with the punches. And if you get scored on in practice, you get scored on in practice. It's something you got to live with and just get a little bit better each rep. Now, when you're obviously your assistant's going to help you out with recruiting now, and the recruiting calendar is going to be a, a little screwed up for us. But, you know, when you look at this summer going into it and you evaluate where your team's at, what are some of the important things that you're looking at with players? You know, is there specific things that you're looking for in a defender that maybe others? coaches aren't looking for on offense you know is it you know are you looking for fast and speed and size are you looking for skill set are you looking for iq what are kind of the some of the skills or the intangibles that you really focus on when you go out recruiting so yeah i mean a lot of like i listen to a lot of coaches talk and podcasts and conventions and things like that and a lot of coaches say oh you know it's it's about culture first and work ethic and those things and i and i completely 100 percent agree with those but you know, when I'm sitting on a on a sideline getting sunburnt in the summer in at Farmingdale or something like that, you can't. It's really hard to tell culture a lot of times. It, you can tell bad culture, uh, oftentimes. You can tell a kid that's got a bad attitude, but it's hard to tell a kid that has a great attitude necessarily. And so, you know, you do have to just go by, you know, the the product that they're putting out there and, and what they're showing you out on the field. And so. I like, I guess for defensive players, because I was a defenseman, one of the things that I think is really hard to teach is instincts. 
And I think, so one thing I try and look for is just, it's, it's hard to kind of qualify this, but it's guys that kind of see the play happening before it's happening. They can kind of read the guy with the ball and read his body language and read his eyes and anticipate what's going to happen and really make an explosive play because they kind of have that IQ that you can't really define, but you just know. And a lot of that comes from some of my best defensive players have been really good football players and, you know, linebackers, safeties, cornerbacks, guys like that, that have to make plays on the ball and read the guy that they're covering and read the quarterback and see the play happening before it's happening and just trusting their gut and reacting to what they see. And I think, you know, I can teach a guy proper footwork and fundamentals and where to put their stick and all those things. And I can get them stronger and faster and do all those things. And we can develop those qualities, but that, that instinctual just kind of grasp of the game is something that I find a really hard time coaching and teaching. So I'm just looking for guys that are just going out there and making plays and being aggressive and not being afraid to fail and aren't timid. And that's kind of the, what I look for defensively. I guess I would say offensively, I want guys that don't shy away from pressure. I want guys that can run through a slap check. I want guys that run with their head up. And I want guys that can do more than just stand there and shoot the ball from 12 yards with a ton of time on their hands. I think that's, I think recruiting offensive players is really hard because so many of the looks that a lot of players are used to getting in high school and at the club level are just, they're just not there at our level. And so, you know, you you just never get three seconds to take three curl hops into a 10 yard shot. It's just like, how many times do I see kids taking that shot and absolutely ripping a laser with five seconds to shoot it from 10 yards away in a club game? And I'm like, yeah, well, that's all well and good, but I could do that. You know, like I need guys that can shoot that with a guy on their hands while their feet are moving, you know, off a skip pass, how quick the ball gets in and out of their stick. If they can do it while keeping their feet moving, if, you know, those like, those little, little next level things, you know, a nice little hitch instead of just kind of chest passing the ball at the goal. You know, sometimes guys passing up a shot tells me a lot more than a guy who takes a shot and scores on a not so great goalie in something that would never go in at the next level. Sounds like you're, you're really looking for guys that can play in that gray area on defense in, in sort of, and then on offense, it's, even on both sides, to me, it really sounds like you're looking for guys that are seeing plays happen before they happen and are maybe thinking one or two plays ahead. Because as the game speeds up, you need to be able to think one or two plays ahead because if you wait for it to happen before you get there, you're going to be too late. Yeah, and, and we do a ton of drills to promote that skill too. I mean, I do a lot of low-consequence, very easy for the offense to score drills where, you know, I don't put a ton of pressure on the defense. It's an offensive centric drill where I just want my offensive guys just to go out there and have fun and be loose and not take okay shots, but get creative because eventually if you're creative enough and you keep moving and you're unselfish, you'll get a really good shot and just being able to see those lapses and then throwing, you know, if we do a four on two drill, like we'll do a four on two drill you know, kind of like half court basketball, four on two. We'll roll the ball out and I'll have my defensive players play. And then it's like, if the defense gets a stop in that, that's really good because, you know, I mean, it's a four on two. But, 
you know, our offense should score every time, but if they don't, it's not super high consequence. I'm not, I'm not telling them to get into a certain shape or a certain form or run a certain type of motion or set. I'm just having them go out there and play and be unselfish and build some chemistry with each other while encouraging the defensive guys. Like who cares if you get scored on right now? doesn't matter. You should get scored on. So just go out there and try and fly around and make a play. <laughs> yeah. Just go make a play. Absolutely. Go make a play and offense. Just have fun and put the ball on the back of the net. I like that coach. Just asking a question as a goalie, as a former goalie, because I don't play anymore. But what are some of the things that you are looking for, either in your playing days or as a coach, as a goalie, just sitting there uh, in the crease? <laughs> goalie is goalie and faceoff are the two hardest positions to recruit, in my opinion. So I'm looking for, you know, in another reason why I'm really. Uh, happy to have my new assistant, Tristan Doherty, who was uh, a, the goalie at Hobart for four years and was a team captain there. It's just he is just such a such a better eye for oh, what makes what I can tell what a good goalie is, but I can't tell the difference between which goalie is going to turn into a great goalie. And he has such a better eye for those types of things. So uh, he's taught me a ton. And you know, we're just looking for like body language, patience is something that. I really look for in a goalie trying to find guys that are, you know, not really guessing based on the guy's body language. They're reading the ball. They have quick hands and they stay balanced on their feet. You know, something I worked on a lot with our goalies is just like getting them in their stance and just giving them a little shove on their shoulder or their chest just to make sure that they're steady on their feet and they're not too far on their toes or they're not too far back on their heels. So making sure they're they're good athletes, and you know, I mean, they gotta have a good stick. It's we're in the era of the ten man ride and the the pressure ride situations, and you've got to have a goalie that can handle pressure from an attackman and make a pass on the run and make a throw on the run, and you know, be able to face dodge and maneuver and be a be a threat with the ball in their stick. I think one of the great things about the new shot clock system is that goalies get to be a little bit more active in uh, both rides and clears. And so it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I remember my first time being in a 10 man ride. I didn't really understand what I was supposed to do. So I apologized to the attack when I was standing next to, and then just swiped the stick out of his hand. <laughs> it landed, it landed like uh, 30 yards away. And I, I was like, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> well, I'm sure you took a couple shots off the neck and the thigh to uh, warrant. I that. think the, so. I got a lot of I got a lot of empathy for goalies. That's something I could never see myself. No, doing, just stop so. with your stick. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, coach, there's something that I, seems to be a theme with us talking with you about this that I, I've actually been really impressed with, and something that I like. We've heard you talk a lot about your weaknesses and kind of knowing what your weaknesses are and trying to find out and find someone that can really help fill those needs and help you with it. You talk about your goalie helping with your eye with that, or maybe something else. How do you find those weaknesses? How, how do you know what your strengths aren't? You know, I think it's just being, it's being honest and being humble, I think is really important. I think it's important to be vulnerable in front of your staff and even in front of your players at times and just, being honest with them and just being like, yeah, I screwed up or yeah, you know, I got that wrong or I'm not sure. Listen, I, I didn't see that or I, I don't know. 
or give me a minute. Let me let me think of the right answer to that question. I think showing them that I don't know. I think you need to be genuine. I think you need to be who you are, and you need to be thinking about those things consciously. You know, I I I'm good at a lot of things, but I'm also certainly nowhere near one of the best coaches in the country. And I think even the best coaches in the country are the ones that are thinking about how they can improve on their weaknesses. So I want to be one of the best coaches in the country. And so in order to do that, I need to continue to work on my strengths and build up my weaknesses. And, you know, I, I have a, a, a notebook that I keep with me pretty much 24 seven. It goes with me in my backpack, wherever I go. And I'm always writing down things that come to my mind, whether I'm watching a football game and I hear a coach use a term that I've never thought of before, or, you know, after a game, I scribble down something that I messed up and I just write things down that really helps me and looking through that notebook every once in a while and just kind of going over things that I may have forgotten. But I think understanding that it's a process and that you're learning every single day and you can learn from your players and learn from your staff and learn from other coaches. And, you know, I go and watch basketball practices and soccer practices and I watch our other coaches coach and try and steal things from them and learn what they do. It's a great message. I, I like that. Not, you know, just being able to take different lessons from other sports and other coaches and tangible, you know, I think the verbiage is an important one too. Just being able to hear from another coach, maybe how they teach something is even more important than what they teach. Yeah. Well, I mean, what we did our kind of uh, the ride that we were doing this year is based off of press that our basketball team had run in years past. And so it's just some of the language that they use for different spots in the floor and how they set up the ride and things like that. You know, we, I stole it right from our basketball team and you know, it was great. So, and, and I, I stole another concept of, from our basketball team as well and helping our middies clearing the ball in the midfield. And it's just, I was like, Hey, there's this skill that we use and I see it in basketball. I do it myself when I play basketball and I just don't know how to, I don't know how to put a word to that. Is there a skill to that? And they just, you know, I talked it over with our basketball coach and he showed me a clip and we talked it up on the whiteboard and we put it into, you know, our, our clearing system and it worked great. So, you know, little things like that, asking for help, asking for help is never, is never a problem, never something I'm scared to do. I think that's a really healthy idea, not just for uh, coaches listening, but for players, everybody's got weaknesses. And I think it's great that you're willing to express that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just, it's just the way the world works. Uh, in, in my opinion, uh, it's better to, better to ask for help and, and do it right the first time than screw up 10 times on your own. I think it's more efficient that way and just be a little humble, put your, your hat in your hands, ask for help and you'll be better off for it. And you know, that somebody that helps you out someday, you'll have to help them out. And it's just, it's kind of good karma, I guess. Absolutely. Coach. So we, we talked a little bit about recruiting and you know, what you're looking for with recruits and, all of that type of thing. Is there any skill set that you'd like to see promoted more by high school coaches, youth coaches, or something that maybe when guys come onto campus that you're, you guys have to focus on because it's not quite there yet? I guess I would just, honestly, I would make lacrosse practice more fun. Honestly, the, the more I've been doing this, honestly, I feel like some of the less coaching I've done, I feel like I'm more of a, of a trainer than I am a coach. And so I'm trying to train these guys and teach them skills. But 
it's more about just like changing the situation that they're in and, and making them more flexible and adaptable and less structure and more fluid, free flowing things. And a lot of guys that I get offensively or defensively know one thing and, and, and it's like, all right, this is how we were going to win games. So this is all coach let me do. And we just practice this nonstop in a six on six setting or a 10 on 10 setting. And those guys take the longest time, honestly, to find time on the field for me, whether it's on offense or defense. And a lot of guys come in and they're like, I can't believe how much more fun college practices than high school practice. He's like, our, our high school practice was miserable. We stood around a ton, coach yelled at us a ton. We just did fast breaks and six on six. And that's all we did in West Jenny, you know, in Jenny's. That's all we did. And just to clarify, West Jenny long. drills, not the West, not West Jenny high school practice. No, no, no. <laughs> like the, you know, the three, yeah, three yeah, continuous, yeah. The, the Jenny's drill, whatever. Everyone has a different name for yep. it. But, you know, so many times I hear that and I'm like, man, that sounds terrible. No wonder that. You know, I get guys that come in that don't have a huge passion for the game, but have a ton of skill and potential. And it's because they've they've been taught growing up. It's it's just whatever it takes to win, not necessarily whatever it takes to develop lacrosse players. And if you have a bunch of good lacrosse players, they'll figure out how to win and you don't have to do a ton of coaching. So my kind of philosophy is more on just making the guys better players and then just putting them in different situations and watching them succeed and watching them fail and then helping to point out to them why they were successful and why they were failing. So, you know, a lot of what we do is stick work and, you know, obviously we have to, you know, coach in our, you know, zone offenses and, you know, our man up situations and our, you know, our slide packages on defense and you have to do some coaching, but you, you learn by doing. You, you know, you learn a lot more by going out there and, and competing than you do by having a coach draw it up for you 10 times and walking through a rep 10 times and things like that. So more and more, I'm just letting my guys go out there and have fun and they're enjoying it more. And they're, they're coaching themselves more because I taught them the basics and they're taking the basics with them and, and running. So coach, what's a, what's a goofy or just, kind of uh, maybe off the wall drill that you have tried that didn't really work. Maybe, maybe it was just something that was a little bit too abstract. I'll give you an example. First, I tried a uh, counterattack face-off drill, which was the face-off guys can't leave the circle, whichever way they go, we send a guy out of the box with the ball for a fast break the other way it was actually really fun except for the fact that we only had two face-off guys and i think they were ready to quit the team at the end of the 10 minutes (laughs) (laughs) well uh in an old school plattsburgh drill that i learned from the previous head coach who i think learned from the head coach before him was we called it the rabbit drill where we went 10 on 10 and, you know, divided the team up evenly. And we put on, this was like in the pre-shot clock days. And we put on like a 60 second clock that one of the coaches just counted down from the sideline. And then you, you pick about four or five of your most athletic guys and you put them out in the field as the 11th guy. 
actually, you know what? We went we went nine on nine. So when it was when it was settled, it was like a, a five on five instead of a six on six. And so, and then you'd have this guy who was the rabbit who didn't have a penny on. So you just see him out there with his shoulder pads on out there and he could do whatever he wanted. He was on no one's team. So you'd throw him the ball and he could step in and play out the six on five, or you could throw him the ball and then he could turn around and go the other way for a fast break. And so it was kind of like just absolute chaos, just having this kind of lone ranger out there, just either you throw in the ball, you never know if it's going to be a good thing that you throw in the ball or it's going to be a bad thing for you if you throw in the ball. And that kind of unsettled chaos. The guys had a blast with it. Was it very realistic? No. Did it help us, our defense, just kind of roll with the punches and handle things? Yeah, definitely, I think so. But more so, it was just fun for the guys. And they're playing lacrosse and they're having a blast and they're getting all mad at each other for throwing the ball to him and him going the other way, kind of thing like that. So, it sounds you know, a drill like that, well, it's – yeah, it might not be the most productive thing, but it's going to keep practice fun and the guys will have a blast doing it, which I think is really important too. Well, it sounds like obviously having a fun practice is going to help you with the recruiting aspect too. If your players are having fun, they're going to want to bring their friends there. And, you know, the kids when they come out on visit, they're only going to hear good things because practices are fun. I, I think it just, it breeds a culture of togetherness when everybody's enjoying what they're doing. So I, it sounds like you're doing good stuff out there. And Obviously, that's shown itself with a SUNYAC title in 2017, and certainly I'm sure that's the goal for next year and getting it back uh, to the championship in 21 and making the NCAA tournament run. Yeah, yeah. I mean, winning is winning is always at the forefront of my mind. That was one of the best days of my life, that day where we won the championship, and it was a long time coming, and it took, it took years to get there. It wasn't it wasn't me. It wasn't that team. It was the team before that and the team before that and the team before that. And it's just your, your, your program, your team just has to get a little bit better every year. Even if you win, even if you win less games than maybe you did the year before, if your program is in the, in the culture of accountability and hard work and, you know, having a passion for the game continues to improve and the attitude and commitment continues to grow, I think anybody can get there. Anybody with the right support can get there. If you put enough time and energy and passion into it and get the right group of guys out there, I think it's, um, I think it's possible for anybody. We were talking to uh, Coach Gordon Webb, who just retired from Plymouth State University. And yes, sir. one of the, uh, one of the mm-hmm. things he talked about, we asked him about being in the Hall of Fame, and he just kept talking about all of his players and he specified that he didn't get in the hall of fame because he was a good lacrosse player. He got in the hall of fame because he coached good lacrosse players. And I think you're kind of echoing the same selfless values. Yeah. I mean, my, my, my playing days are over, you know, I, I play in Lake Placid every year and, and, you know, go to Canton, you know, about once every other week in the summer to play some pickup lacrosse over there. And, you know, but for the most part, my, my playing days are over. I play pickup basketball twice a week and that that's about it. So for me, it's about thinking about what made me successful as a player and what I really appreciated from my coaches and from the people around me and trying to bring that to my guys and making sure that they have a great experience and, you know, college should be the best four years of your life. And if you're happy where you are and you're enjoying what you're doing, you're, you're going to want to put more into it in the times where you don't necessarily have to. So that's kind of what I think of my role is, is just promoting a, a culture where the guys are having a good time, 
you know, it's not, it's not all fun and games. I don't want to get the point across that we just kind of roll the balls out there and let the guys play, you know, we condition, we work hard, we have to do the boring stuff, the riding and the clearing and the stick work and all that stuff too. But we try and balance that, I guess, is, you know, what I, what I want to make sure is, is known because uh, you need all those little things. You need some of the less glamorous, fun things to be successful. But yeah, I mean, it's about the guys, you know, it's, it's about, it's about the guys and how much they want it. Because if I want it more than anything in the world, it's not going to do much good because, you know, it ain't the X's and O's, it's the Jimmy's and Joe's, as everyone says. Well, coach, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us and talk to us a little bit about the Plattsburgh program, but also some of your own philosophies on, you know, running a program, coaching, and some of the things that you really enjoy about being up north and about the campus and your squad. I uh, I really appreciate you guys having me on. I think lacrosse is the is the greatest game ever invented. I think it's it, it's something that can bring people together, and it's got a beautiful combination of you know physicality mixed in with creativity and free flowing up and down fast paced nature. And I just want to keep the game growing by promoting the great aspects of it and not over coaching. And I hope other coaches embrace that too. And and don't burn kids out. I think there's so much burnout with kids and pressure put on them at such a young age that it doesn't have to be so serious. The times There are plenty of times to be serious, but there's a lot more times when you can go out there and have fun while still being serious. And I think that's the way we keep growing this game, not by forcing drills on kids, but making it a, a fun, collaborative, beautiful game that it is. Great message. Well, all right, Coach, I think that's a wrap. Thanks a lot, Joe. I uh, appreciate you coming on and uh, talking with us. It's always fun just to talk lacrosse, especially right now when there's no lacrosse. Thanks for listening to Straight from the Goldmouth. We'd love it if you could leave us a review and share with your friends in the lacrosse community. If you have ideas for content that you want to hear on future episodes, or if you think you'd make a great guest, hit us up on Twitter, at From Goldmouth. We'll be back every Monday with a new episode. Catch you next time.